Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. everybody, welcome to a very special episode of Undying Line. I am your host, Alex, and I am joined today by a very special guest who I will have them introduce themselves in just a minute. So a lot of things have been going on in uh, my book for the last couple of years, and in that I have, as some of you know, taken on the pastoralship of a Lutheran church. In doing so, I have attended a Lutheran seminary, and I read the Book of Concord and study it on a pretty semi-regular basis now. Um, so for all of you who want to scream heresy at me, uh, I will give you my address, and you can come and pay me a visit. I'd love to meet with you and talk to you. For those who uh, are actually interested in hearing uh, all the finer things of what goes on behind the scenes here. This is what we will be doing over the course of the next couple of episodes is talking with a few people about the Lutheran faith and what drew them into it and some of those nuances. So uh, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time, you know, talking about this. I might uh, actually record another little pre-show amble. I don't know, but uh, to kind of draw into this, but I don't want to take any more of my guest time. Uh, because as always, we're always busy and our days are always stacked full. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to him and I'm going to let him introduce himself. And before he does, I'm going to go ahead and kick it off with this first question. Tell me about yourself and briefly tell us about your walk with Christ. All right. Um, so my name is Jaden Marker. Um, you know, well, a little bit about myself. That is a loaded question because I can give you a lot about myself, but I guess a little will do. So I am a pre-seminary student at Concordia University, Wisconsin, which is part of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And I'm also a member of that denomination. Um, I'm currently living in Michigan right now, but I am originally from Oklahoma and Missouri. And... I was not originally Lutheran. I was raised in a very typical Southern Baptist household by basically my grandparents and, you know, was baptized at the age of nine. That's when I would say before becoming Lutheran, um, I'd say, oh, that's the moment I came to Christ. You know, that sort of thing, how I'd phrase it in that fashion. But 
so like I said, um, I was saved, baptized, and given the gift of faith at the age of nine. And there was a period of my time in my life where I wasn't really active in my faith. I mean, I wouldn't really blame it on anyone or anything. It's just simply, you know, when you're a little kid, you really don't think about these things until I'd say maybe when I was 13, 14, I started reading things. And eventually I came across um, R.E.C. Sproul's Chosen by God. And this was the first time I've ever heard of anything more in depth than what I was raised with, to be honest. And the book helped me get into the big argument that a lot of us have in the evangelical church as a whole. And what I mean by that, basically everyone else who isn't per se Lutheran, um, such as like what I said, Southern Baptist and such. So that's what I mean by evangelicals um, to clarify things. So I read this and I, as you would think, I was not raised um, like R.C. Sproul type of way. I was not raised to believe that God chose me first. I was not raised to believe that Christ didn't die for everyone. I was not raised to believe that way. The only thing close was maybe a form of total depravity that I couldn't come to God on my own terms, but yet I could still choose him. And, you know, one saved, always saved. The One of the very stereotypical things of a Southern Baptist church so at first I kicked against it and like, no, RC, you're wrong about this. And eventually I slowly became a five point Calvinistic Baptist. Um, I wasn't full in like a reformed Baptist or anything. Uh, to be honest, I didn't even read confessions until like my senior year of high school. So even, or even no, my junior year, excuse me. Um, a lot of this is just simply all, smushed together in memories and such. It all seems to be one thing when really it's not. But Oh, I know uh, that. <laughs> so this is just a whirlwind uh, tour of it. But basically, I was like, oh, I believe in Tulip, but more like, um, you know what, I'll just say John MacArthur type of guy. In fact, I read more John MacArthur than anything else um, at this point in time. So that what that's what I was. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, it was when I went to college for my first, my freshman year, I went to a Mennonite Brethren College called Tabor College. It's in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. Um, And that's when I started um, looking more into things on my own. I had already looked into, for example, Presbyterianism, more specifically on infant baptism. And... I was starting to figure out that maybe everything I didn't have right, like that I was growing up with wasn't right. I mean, I was already doubting, for example, it may seem unrelated. I was already doubting the left behind theology I grew up with. Um, as in like my grandpa made my brother and I go through the book of revelation with him, excuse me. And look at through the Dr. David Jeremiah lens. Um, Escape the Coming Night, that sort of thing. I grew up watching Kirk Cameron, the Kirk Cameron movie only once. So I was doubting that. And I was starting to look into covenant theology. And yeah, it made me realize that um, a lot of things you don't realize are connected. How you view the end, for example, and baptism are connected in some way. Oh, yeah. So I contacted a Presbyterian church that was nearby 
it was a part of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, or the RPCNA, or the RPers for short, as they call themselves. Um, it turns out the one of the coaches at my college went there, oddly enough, and he's working at this this college. <laughs> I know. And I go there, and that was... If you don't know what it is, I don't think most people would know. Um, it is one of the few denomination reformed denominations that sing psalms only in a cappella. Oh, interesting. Um, and they were very nice people. The pastor helped me out a little bit with things, and you know, I thought I would be a convinced Presbyterian at that point. Um, but no, my fiance came along. <laughs> mm. uh, and that literally is what Shock started the core, right yeah mm-hmm. my fiance came along and she is was a part it still is a part of the Lutheran church missouri senate as in like she grew up that way most of her life um that's another story about how she came into it but basically from the age of three on up straight up lutheran her her dad is the head elder of our church um she went to Lutheran school all her life. You know, basically she was the Lutheran girl. Um, but she was thinking about trying Presbyterian for me because sometimes the girls go to the guy's church um, more often than not. She was, so she's like, I, I could do that. Uh, well, first off, she didn't like the RP church because, well, when I say acapella, it, it set her off. Like, you know, she's wanting music and such. And there was other things, of course, as... I found out later on, but she's like, no, I can't do this. So we tried another Presbyterian church that um, you thought that one was wacky. Um, and I'm not bashing them at all. They were all nice people, believe it or not. They were great people to be around with. But the next one we went to practiced um, pedo communion or giving um, children who were baptized, but yet not confirmed in their faith or not um, communion. We went to that and had a more liturgical uh, worship like you would find in a Lutheran church a little. And like there is some instances of it, but not exactly like it. And she tried that. And basically when COVID hit, um, we went up to Michigan because that was just basically the best um, option for the time. And she's like, you know, I can't do this anymore. I've tried Presbyterian for you so much. Um, you should try looking into Lutheranism for me. And to be honest, I never really looked into it because I'm like, oh, she's doing this. I'm going to be lazy and not do my part. Um, the only thing I really did was I maybe read part of the small catechism that she gave me at some point, read the hymnal that she gave me at some point, mm. um, and that sort of thing. Went to the church services that we did when we came to visit her folks. But I never really looked into it. Now I'm like, well, I better, I should have done it a long time ago. And you know what? I will say that I regret not doing this sooner. So, um, and I mean, we'll get, that's basically the second question, but my walk with Christ, um, I will say this really briefly. I wouldn't even sum it as my walk anymore. Oddly enough, it's Mm. more like Christ coming to walk his walk with me. Um, instead of it, me looking at myself and making sure I'm doing enough good works. Am I living the Christian life the way I should, the way I should do it 
the way it should be done by me and that sort of thing. I look towards what Christ has done on the cross and in my baptism. So it kind of uh, takes the reflection off of self and places it rightfully where it should be upon Christ, right? Exactly. And like, or the other thing is that good works now isn't about making sure God's pleased with me. Like I wasn't believing that my good works could save me. It was just more like, Oh, making sure that God, you know, like my life's glorifying God, you know, like Westminster shorter catechism question one answer, you know, like one, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy himself to enjoy, to enjoy himself in him forever. I'm paraphrasing that when really God doesn't need my good works, but my neighbor does. So actually having a more fulfilling view of my vocation of how I am to live my life as a Christian in the world with my neighbors Mm -hmm. to loving them the way my vocation calls me to do. Like, for example, I work at the most, you know, I work the most menial job ever. Um, And I don't say this like, you know, saying it's a horrible place. It is not. Uh, It's not the most ideal job anyone would want working as a morning shift work um, stalker at Walmart. And the good works that I do there is just as much as important as the good works I will do in the future in ministry. And I can love my neighbor just simply stocking items on the right shelf and just saying good morning to them and hello and pointing to them where the right item is instead of being like, Oh, I'm a Christian. Let me tell you about Jesus, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like uh, Luther said, right? If you're going to be a shoemaker, you don't go put little crosses on shoes. You just make the best possible shoes that you can. And Exactly. Yeah. You know, and as I found out, that's actually a better way of sharing the faith than just being up front. Right. Exactly. Um, so, well, not necessarily the customers. There's a short time I have, but with my coworkers, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in that regards. So having a more purposeful view of what I am to do with my life, what avenues I have to show love for my neighbor in various ways. Like in the future, I'll have the vocation of being a husband, um, being married next month. So that Congratulations. is very exciting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, and just uh, for the show, uh, for the listeners, uh, trying to get Jade into schedule with me uh, was, was interestingly difficult. And I, I have yes. to admit, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've been on a podcast before. Um, no. Yeah. So this is his first podcast, and so I could probably say uh, the nervousness might be there, but I'll tell you, you're doing wonderful, and you're 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 blazing <laughs> through these questions, and you're natural on the show. So you'll be great in the pulpit when Christ puts you in there, and. I'll tell you the first the first few episodes that Paul and I did long time ago on Undying Light, we were we were a train wreck. And 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 I would still say I'm not like a trained radio show host. I'm not a trained podcaster or whatever. Everything I've done is purely by just imitation of what I've listened to others do. So, I, you know, Jaden, you're doing wonderful. And congratulations on the wedding next month, man. That's tremendous. I mean, I, I I still remember the, the summer that my wife and I planned ours. Uh, it'll be 14 years ago now. But, you know, yeah, well, um, I got a few years on you, I think. So <laughs> we, uh, we celebrate 14 years this August and man, I'll tell you, it is the greatest vocation God can give a man is one to be, uh, the husband 
and 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 then the second if not equally is, is blessing is to be a father and so those are great things to look forward to in your marriage um, yes. oh sorry about that no you're good you're good so as we kind of move into this, uh, so you told us a little bit about your history and your, and your story. Uh, you've kind of, so I, 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 I want to really preference this for people here. Um, I didn't just pick Jaden simply because he's got some stuff on Instagram that is going through some Lutheran theology. And then uh, right now he's doing a series. It's like Lutherans versus uh, Calvinism and Arminianism. I didn't pick him because of that. I picked him because of his story and, He's very similar to me in being a five-point Calvinist, uh, one that held to Tulip, and then just kind of watched it dissolve right in front of him. You know, uh, as this show series will air, uh, I don't know if I really want to give too much away, but I have, I've got Flame, who's going to come on the show. Uh, I got him scheduled next week to record with me, and he's got a song called Scatter Tulips. And I, and I think that song just brilliantly speaks to my kind of walking away from Calvinism and just some of the questions that I couldn't quite have answered. And so uh, I, I've seen a lot of commonality in between Jaden and I and uh, in this. So I, I want to kind of course this conversation a little bit more towards the doctrinal aspect now because people are really curious. All of these things within Lutherans, obviously – You've got the circus performance in the ELCA and and just how bad that place has kind of dissolved itself into being. And then we've got all we've got essentially a ton of different Senates. You know, you're in the Missouri Senate, which we'll talk about in a minute. There's a Wisconsin Senate. There's all of these other Senates. I'm in a small one, the LCMC, which is Lutherans uh, on Missions for Christ. And so we're, we're we only have, I think, less than a thousand churches across the world. So we're tiny. And but in comparison to like Missouri, uh, we probably doctrinally align more there because we're conservative, ultimately, you know, biblically, and uh, our doctrine pulls out of the Book of Concord. So it draws this question really the distinguishing factor in the Lutheran scope of things that there's this title that some Lutherans kind of take with them. And, and I don't know if I would. And if you, I don't know if you would take it or not. Either way, it doesn't matter. But would you say yourself to be a confessional Lutheran? Um, yes, I would say that I am a confessional Lutheran, which means I adhere to the Book of Concord, which it does not mean, um, for example, that supersedes Scripture or anything. It literally means when I say I'm a confessional Lutheran, I'm basically saying. I adhere to a book of confessions that just literally repeats what scripture says. In fact, the first part of the book of Concord, if you ever get one, it should be at least the three ecumenical creeds, which are the apostles creed, the Nicene creed and the Athanasian creed, which simply repeats the simple truths of scripture from ages past. I mean, we don't even know when the apostles creed showed up. That's just how old it is. Um, we don't think the apostles made or anything, but, who knows? They might have. We just don't know the history behind it fully on the origins of it. But the other things are documents that came up during the Reformation. See, Luther just did not write the 95 Theses. Like, unfortunately, I think most Christians just only assume Luther wrote the 95 Theses. And then there's those who think he might have wrote Bondage of the 
you know, just wrote Boundaries of the Will, maybe a commentary on Galatians, maybe the small catechism. I mean, he wrote a lot of other things that's not in this book, but Luther wrote quite a bit in here that talks about Lutheran faith. And it's not just Luther. Um, it's a few other guys. Um, Philip Manley-Canton is one of the major ones. He wrote um, the Augsburg Confession, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, which these two documents were presented to the Roman Catholic Church after the Reformation started, which outlines some of the basics of what Lutheranism is. Um, it's where you find our views on, for example, some of the essential doctrines of faith that all of us would agree on, like the Trinity, the Godhead, yep, like God, yep. mm-hmm. Christ, and the more in-depth things such as how in Lutheranism, I mean, there's going to be some outliers, of course, unfortunately, we're not as uncomfortable with traditional liturgical worship as a lot of other churches are. I grew up not like, you know, crucifixes are bad because Christ is the risen Christ and he's not supposed to be on there. Um, or even like uh, genuflection is bad because, you know, that's what Catholics do. And if you don't know what genuflection is, is when you take a knee, basically and bow down, usually in front of the altar or, I really didn't even grow up with an altar. We had the stage. I know they call it an altar, but in the Lutheran church, we actually have an altar where, you know, we believe. Um, yes, I know this sounds very Catholic, um, that Christ's <laughs> body and blood comes down to us through the bread and wine. And yet it still remains bread and wine. And we drink wine. I know yes, that's horrible yes. to some people, but and I'm not trying to be rude or anything. It's just simply that's how it is a lot of times. Right. Right. But Yes, when I, I will call myself a confessional Lutheran. Um, and that I take the book of Concord as it is, and not because it is scripture itself, but it's just simply repeating what scripture says. And as far as I know, and as far as other confessional Lutherans know, it is fine and it is perf- you know perfect in what it says in the sense of it just simply repeats what scripture says, you know. Um, and there's also more to it. It is a very chonky book um because as you find out a lot of the stuff that other churches have debated like for example and i'm doing it on my instagram page the debate between calvinists and arminians we figured out that stuff a little bit before they did in in our own setting because those things popped up like for example what is the role of free will and conversion because one of our own, uh, Philip Millicant, and we still like him. It's not that we don't believe, you know, he stopped being a Christian or anything. He goofed up in that he was being chummy with the Roman Catholic Church and said, oh, you know, it's the Word and the Holy Spirit that brings faith, but also the free will plays a role. When other Lutherans, as well as Scripture testifies, will say, no, Free will does not play a role in conversion. It is an act of God that he brings about the gift of repentance and such, and the gift of faith to us. It is a monergistic act. Not that we work with God with our will in any sense. Um, But also there's other things that popped up, um, including when Calvinism popped up, we... um, this might sound like Calvinism. People are like, oh, yeah, I can be Lutheran and believe that. And they might be a Calvinist. But then the other things popped up as 
Well, um, when I mentioned about communion, and when I say body and blood, I do not say mean a spiritual body and blood or anything. It is the physical body and blood of Christ. Um, and that it gives forgiveness of sins. Um, that when God chose us first, he did not choose um, who would go to hell. He did not do that in the passive sense or the active sense. And some people might not know what I'm talking about, um, but Calvinism does have a distinction of those things. Not everyone believe, not every Calvinist believes God actively chose who would be going to hell and like, you know, actually chose them in that sense. Like the stereotype is of Calvinism. I will concede to that, that there is differences and outliers and such. I will not try to portray our Calvinist brothers and sisters and Arminians with Strauman. That that's another topic altogether, but I will not do that. I will do my best. But as Lutherans, we don't believe that. Instead, we just simply say people just refuse the gift of grace. And when we mean that, we sincerely and truly mean that. That God offers his grace to everyone truly and sincerely and that Christ died for everyone, but he gives it to all of us as a sincere gift, as a sincere invitation. Like the perfect example of this in scripture is the parable of the banquet that Jesus talks about, that the king sends out the servant and he goes to the first guest that the servant was told to go to and the servant, the guest had all the excuses saying, no, I'm not going to come. And it's not that, you know, the feast depended on them to exist or anything to come. That feast was already there. It was already prepared. <laughs> they just refused it. And what happens? You know, the king sends it out to everyone else to everyone else. And he sincerely meant it for everyone. Um, for like, well, that's one of the clearest examples I saw see, because that's one of the first ones that came to me when I started becoming Lutheran. Um, and, but yes, um, in short, I would say, yes, I am confessional Lutheran. I guess that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> no, that's, that's wonderful because at the, at the end of the day, it's just a, um, I think we would attest to saying we're confessional one level versus somebody who's a confessional um, Presbyterian or Baptist. I mean, they, they have a particular confession that they read and acknowledge as kind of being the uh, fundamental statement of faith to their particular denomination. Um, and I think a long back, ways back in our history on Undying Light, we had a show on uh, the confessions. So, um, you might want to go and check that particular episode. If I can remember it, I'll put it in the show notes when we air this episode, but don't count on it. So uh, it's it was a long time ago, like in the early infancy of our show. So, but, you know, with, with all of that, um, you know, it does... The, the whole the whole piece with Lutheranism, and like you said, you know, a lot of these things we encountered early in Luther's kind of... Uh, breaking away from the Catholic Church and the original intentions of 1517 weren't necessarily to uh, to completely splinter and start something new. He wanted to just redefine a few aspects, and that was primarily the merit system that the Cat Roman Catholic Church was built upon. Uh, but then it really hit in 1521 when he was uh, reading through Romans and just like the light bulb moment happened for him. And that's when he really 
started to pull away ultimately and kind of really started going toe to toe with him. And then obviously we had the diet of worms and things like that, that he just kept producing all these writings that would uh, essentially make the palpacy mad and angry and they didn't like that and they wanted him to recant but luther was driven and convicted by the word of god and that's essentially if you read any of the confessions whether it's lutheran or baptist or presbyterian a lot of them are centered around the word of god and and really the biggest difference is your hermeneutic is how you read and understand the scripture uh, the way lutherans read and understand scripture is not any i mean it's, it's just different than um baptist or presbyterian and really the best way to describe it is uh, the baptist and presbyterian would probably read themselves in as a means of um, theologians of glory where they are trying to give god all the glory and i think Jaden, you kind of alluded to this a little bit ago where uh, lutherans were theologians of the cross and so our our job isn't to just come in and give give to god what is already his but is to just accept freely the work of Christ on the cross and then to go out and profess that and live that out in our daily life. And so uh, it's just a different way to read scripture and to kind of um, articulate it to the masses. Uh, we have a different you know, perspective on the Lord's Supper. We have a different perspective on baptism um, and, and really kind of, a I would almost say, a different f- understanding of, of how faith functions sometimes. Um because I still kind of see a little bit of hints uh, in in the way the Baptist or the Presbyterian might try to articulate uh, faith to be given. It's almost like something that they can um, bottle up or in, and increase in uh, their own doing. Uh, like, oh, if you you know read the Bible and then do these works, your faith will increase. Well, faith, the only instance that we actually see faith being given is in Romans 10. And that's how Paul writes it. And that's how even Jesus proclaims it, that faith comes by hearing the word preached. It doesn't come by doing works. Otherwise, way more people would probably have faith than just, you know, this kind of the small, narrow road Christian. So either way, tons of topics to get into um, that we might explore further on this particular series. But. You know, tonight's show is really kind of devoted here to Jaden. So I want to pick your brain here and and ask you what, you know, as a confessional Lutheran, what drew you in then to the Missouri Senate? Well, primarily, very simply, it was um, my fiance's family's church. <laughs> wow, that works. Um, that works. Yeah. I mean, like I said, that's what they grew up. That's what they're part of. That's what my fiance grew up. But also the LCMS, I'm not trying to say it's not like it's perfect. There is issues popping up, but for the most part, the Lutheran church, Missouri Synod is remains confessional yet. It doesn't like, for example, it remains confessional and true to God's word, but it doesn't go to the extremes. Like, for example, you mentioned the Wisconsin Senate. Um, Wells, for example, will not pray with even us because their view of how fellowship should work with other Christians is to the point where they have to be the member of exactly that same denomination, that same church or whatever. Um, they're a part of an international group that's like them. For example, they could pray with a group, some Christians in America, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Senate, because they agree with them exactly 100% on everything, on every little detail. So, 
but we're not like that. We'll even still pray with Roman Catholics and Orthodox Christians because yes, um, they don't have things right, but we will still pray with them. It doesn't mean we'll have, for example, church services, because that's a bit of a different matter um, altogether. But, for example, we'll still pray with them. But we're not open in the sense of, like, we go the other way, as in, as you'll see in the ELCA or Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, where um, basically um, one LCMS pastor, Brian Wolfmuller, kind of summarized it as, a lot of what they do, they believe that the Bible contains God's word, but not is not, but they don't believe it is God's word. And it doesn't sound much different on the surface, but when you really pick at it, the ELCA picks and chooses what um, scripture pertains to them. And that's how they end up with, for example, women pastors ordaining um, same-sex attracted ministers, um, transgender ministers, anything ministers, I guess, at this point. Yeah, not trying to say this in an insulting way or anything, because um, you can say the truth, but you don't have to make fun of people. Right, exactly. Things wrong. You know, I'm not trying to make fun of that community. Um, I just do not agree with what they do is biblically right, but you know, that's how they end up with it because they interpret scripture through the lens of culture, through the lens of reasoning. Um, so the Missouri Synod, as well as there's some other churches around, like for, um, I'd say, um, that Lutheran groups that are around are okay. Like, for example, the Association of American Lutheran Churches. Um, if there might be some listeners who are familiar with uh, Dr. Jordan B. Cooper from the Justin Center podcast. He is a part of that, as well as Chris Rosenbrough of um, Fighting for the Faith and Steve Kozar of, oh, shucks, I remember. Just give me one second. Um, they're pop, those two guys are popular for exposing the charismatic movement, the Word of Faith movement and such. So people would be surprised to hear that they're Lutheran sometimes because they don't really mention it. Um, till recently, but those guys are part of the AALC. Um, so, you know, basically the point is it's not that I wouldn't join any others out there if I had to, it's just simply the LCMS is the best option that I have. And I think it's really the best. I mean, yes, we have our problems and such, but, for the most part, we are doing our best to be faithful to God's word. We are doing our best to be faithful to what it means to be Lutheran, even if we disagree on things. For example, you'll see LCMS churches that are very traditional, like mine, or you'll see those that have blended services where they take traditional and contemporary, or you'll have those that are just contemporary. Um, and there are ways of doing it right, and there are ways of doing it wrong. but we all find ways to do it together and stay together in fellowship and do our best not have those differences get in the way. Because um, I will say this, like, for example, like, yes, scripture talks about worship, but it doesn't exactly say you cannot use, for example, uh, screens or electric guitars just as much as it doesn't say you cannot use 
vestments and candles and incense and worship. So um, if there's some of those traditional people out there that think that traditional is the only way to go, um, you've heard my thoughts. I'm a very traditional person in that I want to be at a traditional church that does these things. That's mm. why I'm at my church. Yep, exactly. Yep. <laughs> but I will not say that contemporary, if it is done rightly, that all contemporary is bad. No, there are just as good Lutherans in that do contemporary things as much as there's good Lutherans that hold on to the traditions of the Lutheran church has been around. So, but yes, basically the LCMS is the best one. I'd say that does its best to be Lutheran. Um, We're not perfect. We're not going to claim to be, we've had our own issues, but we always make it through. Yeah. And I had, um, I grew up in a small community with three Lutheran churches. Uh, two were ELCA. One was uh, MLCS, Missouri Senate. And the Missouri Senate was just, at least at this particular point, was just in a, in a kind of a world of its own. And it was an interesting um, pastor that they had in that, in that place. And, you know, it, I, I was young. And so I, I was just ignorant and, and, foolish really in in my whole kind of synopsis of my of my faith and so i didn't realize what i was giving up when uh, i left confirmation there and joined an lc an elca church to be confirmed even though i think the pastor that i was confirmed under uh, did a great job i was uh, i think he was he's still preaching and he's a tremendous preacher um but there's definitely there's there's strengths and weaknesses in all of them. Uh, even in the ELCA, there are still strong biblical churches uh, that are holdouts for kind of their their strong arm that's really rolling down the hill. Um, so don't just write off you know a particular church because of their associations. Um, you know, really kind of a case in point that my my in laws for the longest time uh, were a part of the ELCA church and they're. Uh, they were without a pastor for two years, struggling and fighting to break away. So those churches are out there and they're actively working to stay true to the word of God. So um, in all of that, I mean, the sentence just kind of uh, break us down in terms of kind of where our, you know, desire to hold scripture and to, you know, some of it, really what level of authority uh I would venture to say the ELCA has kind of moved on to say, yeah, we think scripture is authoritative, but um, we can also say that so is quote unquote, loving your neighbor. And in doing so, you, you know, you have to be as flexible as possible and not harming their feelings. And so you, you, there'll be a lot more uh, flexible in interpretation in the scripture. Whereas uh, people like me and Jaden will probably look at scripture and say, Nope, this is what the word of God says. And even though you might be offended, we'd still love to come come alongside you and have a conversation with you and, 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 and know that Christ will still forgive you of that sin. Uh, Cause the only unforgivable sin at the end of the day is unbelief. And if you uh, are the one that is going to essentially reject our offering, then that's the unforgivable sin. So uh, with all of this, you know, becoming a confessional Lutheran from leaving the five points of uh, Calvinism, the tulip, 
what was some of like your struggles that you kind of encountered? What was something that just really was like, man, this really, it took me a long time to kind of shred it off of my, uh, pull it out of my theological backpack. Like I wanted to, I wanted to keep that sucker buried down deep because it just felt good to think of. You know, um, that's the funny thing because it all that kind of happened in the very beginning and then eventually it went away. (laughs) But um, I will say some of the hardest things was like, for example, believing that someone could fall away from the faith and yet they were truly a believer. That was kind of hard for me to believe because it was like in my mind, I couldn't believe it because logically it doesn't make sense. Like, you know, if God is the one who gives us faith and that means he failed us if we fall away, but scripture says otherwise that if you ask a Lutheran, how is, why are some saved and not others? Some are saved truly and fully because of God's grace, because God did so, but people fall away truly and fully because of their own doing. And we mean that sincerely and wholeheartedly. We don't try to bridge the two things. So when that that is related to about falling away, I had to get through my brain, even though it was very simple and may sound childish um, to have a better word for it, but simply, if I have faith, God is preserving that faith in me. But if I give up that faith, it's my fault because I can give it up. Um, like the best analogy for it, Cooper has used it. It's like an analogies fall. They're not perfect, but you know, if you're saved by someone when you're drowning in the middle of the ocean, and you got pulled out and pulled in the boat, you didn't save yourself. You know, they, that person did, but you could at any point in time, throw yourself back in the ocean. And it's their, your fault, not theirs. <laughs> you know, it's just oh, yeah. as simple oh, yeah. as that. We'll do it. You know, but um, that's how scripture paints it. It doesn't mean like, you know, I thought I couldn't have assurance of my salvation. You can. Our assurance, however, is not to be based in our works or how we feel. I know that some a lot of Christians won't say that they base it on how they feel, but that pops up. Eventually that will. Like, for example, in Calvinism, and I mean the five points of tulip, I know some might equate it with being totally reformed or they might use the word reformed, but they're not really reformed in the sense of, you know, they hold to a confession or not. So I'm just simply saying the five points of tulip. Um, you're like, you're like, well, I'm one of the elect. Like, you know, how do you know you're one of the elect? Well, if I have faith, well, how do you know you are the elect? You're like, you know, I have faith, but how do you know you're elect if, you know, you could be one of the non-elect and not really have faith, but a false faith. Well, I have these works. And then it becomes a perpetual cycle. And it is even worse when you don't believe Christ died for everyone. Um, it's not the, like, we don't, as Lutherans, it's not that we take the view of the, the other way around, where um, the benefits of the atonement are dependent on us to apply on ourselves. Uh, no, it's not that. It's very simply... When Christ died on the cross, he died for everyone. And all the benefits of salvation were paid for. They're there for us. So with that in mind, but basically the thing is, 
um, the hardest thing was that as well. It's like, you know, that kind of about losing your faith that all plays into it. And eventually I had to get that through my mind. It was just as simple as if one has faith. God has given me that faith and he will preserve that faith. But if I throw away that faith, that's my fault. It's my own fault. And I have that free will to do so. <laughs> mm. um, and also other things where more practical things, like when I take communion, I catch myself doing this. It's not necessarily that I don't believe it, but when I take the body and blood of Christ, it that is yet that is also bread and wine at the same time. It's like you know, I just think bread and wine a lot sometimes. And then I go like, hold on, this is the body and blood of Christ I have just received into my mouth that has been consecrated by the pastor with the word of Christ that he said on last night, the last supper, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Do this also in remembrance of me. I know it's a very paraphrased version, but basically it's that when the pastor says those words, the body and blood of Christ is there. That is yet bread and wine. So reminding myself of that mystery when I take it, and it happens to everyone in the Lutheran church. It's not that we stop believing it. It's just simply things happen. You know, we don't sometimes connect that, mm-hmm. but yet we still believe it. Um, other things, for example, baptism, I had to get through my mind. Like I eventually got to the point where like, there are some Calvinists who would say, that baptism only saves the elect. But even then they may specify, for example, um, it's not the water that actually cleanses you, but it's the inward washing of the Holy Spirit. When Lutherans, we'd say, baptism now saves you. It's the water and the word. It's not that the water is like a superstitious thing or a magical thing. It is that one joined worth with the word, more specifically, when we baptize someone in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, like Christ told us so at the Great Commission in Matthew 20, 18 through 20, the Holy Spirit is given to them. They are adopted into the family of God. They are forgiven of their sins in baptism in those waters, those cleansing waters. I had to get through that in my mind that it was not a work that I did because a lot of times when you tell people who aren't Lutherans this, they will think it's like, you know, you're doing a good work because they have the presupposition that baptism is something that we do. Um, That's how I was raised that baptism was the, the commitment, the act of commitment, the act of obedience towards Christ after salvation that was showing my faith and that sort of thing. When really that is not how scripture defines it. Um, it's totally God doing all the work. Like in Romans 6, it's God rising, raising us up in Christ, in his resurrection. That our, our sins, our old man is put to death, and our new man is risen up with Christ in baptism. That there is only one baptism, not, you know, a bunch of baptisms <laughs> that oh, could yeah. be split up. Um, that sort of thing. That's when scripture talks about baptism, that is what it is. That when Peter said to that crowd in 
on the day of Pentecost, what shall we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. That's what baptism does. Not because of anything we do, but because God comes down to us through the waters of baptism, through the Holy Spirit working through the word of God. Um, Other things, it's... uh, you know, I'm trying to think of another one because basically the struggles that I had were initial things like my rejections towards Lutheranism. And, you know, I basically became a full-on confessional Lutheran in a short matter of time. I even read the Book of Concord two weeks before confirmation. Pastors usually don't have someone who read the Book of Concord <laughs> right before confirmation. Yeah, that, is, that is true. So, um, yeah, I will not try to portray myself as someone who like even when they're Lutheran they struggle and they're like oh I have to you know eventually believe this no I full on believe this because I knew what I was getting into um I understand that um if anything there's some things that like when I was reformed I gave up that was typical of like being gro- growing up in a Southern Baptist church by that point you know, before I was Lutheran, I didn't believe the eschatology I grew up with and things like that. So I guess in that sense, some of those things were already taken care of. It was just some other things that popped up. Like, for example, if Anna and I were talking, if my fiance and I were talking during this time, like during the time I was Baptist, about infants being baptized, oh boy, that would have been difficult. It would have been horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so... Fortunately, being reformed for a little bit helped me out with that. I will say that God used that time in my life to help me through some of the struggles that would, you know, like possibly would have popped up. There were struggles. It's just simply in the beginnings of becoming a confessional Lutheran. Now it is more like learning what it means to be Lutheran, learning the practical things of, for example, my vocations and such. I had to realize that, for example, when I become a pastor, it doesn't mean I cease being a pastor when I don't have a congregation. I'll always be a pastor. <laughs> yeah, true. Or even if I don't get one, you know, like stick with, I can be a pastor and yet be, for example, a professor at the- of theology, maybe one of our seminaries or at our universities, a high school teacher somewhere. It's just as simple as that. That vocation will never leave me. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. So, yeah, that's what I would say, if anything, that's any big struggle. It's just more practical uh, life issues, if anything. So I know one, I'm just going to kind of pick your brain a little bit here really quick, but I know one kind of aspect that really some Lutherans, and I've heard this in a few circles, that really struggle with one of the biggest things in TULIP to let go was the atonement issue. Did you really uh, struggle with that or was that just kind of like, uh, oh, this makes more sense now to me? You know, I, I never, I kind of struggled with letting go of it, but yet at the same time I did because I could see both sides. And I was kind of like the Calvinist who was like, at that point I could be like, I could be wrong and I don't care. Mm, good point. <laughs> uh, you know, and there are some of those out there. Um, but yes, that was something where, like, for example, limited atonement, you can read scripture, and the problem is is that when people try arguing for limited atonement, they might use John Owen's argument 
you know, a logical one, but mm-hmm. that doesn't really fit because scripture says otherwise. You may have, I'm not saying you, Alex, I'm just saying in the you as in the audience. Um, <laughs> I should not use that term. One, they have the um, argument, like I tried arguing against, like, oh, when it says world, it's not meaning people, it's a meaning geographical. Ge- <laughs> yeah, geographical. Um, but even then, you can't really, I know one verse arguments aren't the best thing in the world. Right. But unfortunately, in this case, First John two two is that one verse argument that kind of specifies not just us, but the whole world. And then, you know, someone could conquer that. Oh, it's you know, everyone's sins could you know, like that's how precious Christ's blood is, but it's only effectual for some. But even then, you read about God justifying the whole world of its sins. That He said the world is not guilty, right? For- you know, before his eyes, um, that, it, yeah, you know, that wasn't really difficult. If anything, perseverance of the saints was, but I've already said what happened with that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it, it's interesting because when people look into Lutheranism, at least in my experience, they see us as this, many point Calvinist, this many point Arminian, you know, mm-hmm. which I'm going to say this, it's not the best way of going about theology in general. The best way of doing it is realizing there are their own systems of theology that are separate, even if it's to that specific person. Mm, good point. Yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah. What, one person can have their own theology altogether. You just have to approach it like that. You can't um, use labels and such. It's, more of a practical life issue with, with anything in general. But I had to learn that as well. You can't categorize people that way because it just doesn't necessarily work. Um, like, for example, with Lutherans, with like Calvinism and Arminianism, you can interchange, for example, a view of baptism or the sacraments in general and be fine. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that sounds harsh, but I think reformed people have an easier time of getting along together because baptism in some sense is not as a big of a deal as it is, is it to us because if you take baptism out of lutheranism you totally lose the whole scheme of it yep i agree because if you take out that baptism is like i said before God coming down to us through the water and the word, forgiving us of our sins and cleansing us from all of our unrighteousness, making us into the new man and putting to death the old man, the old Adam, and making us truly saint and sinner. If you take that away from Lutheranism, you just take away about everything. It's how many, we would say, Christians receive the gift of faith if like it, you know, for infants, um, for me at the age of nine, I mean, I could probably say the gift of faith was given to me beforehand. You know, like that, I'm not saying that's not possible. Lutheran would not say that, but you know, you may talk to some Christians and they can just simply say they've been a Christian all their life, mm-hmm. you know, and it could very well be, they receive that gift of faith because they're baptized as a baby or, you know, the more wacky thing is, I know it sounds wacky to some, like, but you read in scripture, sometimes God gives the gift of faith to infants even in the womb. Oh, yeah. Um, 
like John the Baptist when he kicked Elizabeth's womb when he when Mary came over when she was still having Jesus in her womb, or in the Psalms when David talks about trusting God from the day like you know way before he was born. So, but that's not the point. The point is baptism is an essential thing as well as the Lord's Supper. The sacraments are a big thing to us. To the others, not that important. Yes, there is some that may have a more better sacramental theology. Some of your Presbyterians, your Anglicans, um, there are like whether they're Calvinist Anglicans or Armenian Anglicans. Yes, that is a thing. Um, But yeah, that is a big deal to us. Um, And also, and weirdly enough, we take our confessions a lot more seriously than some Reformed people do. Like, for example, in the Westminster Confession, you read about the Pope being the Antichrist. And when that means the Pope, it does not mean a specific Pope, the office of the papacy. There's a lot of, um, you know, Presbyterians that don't agree with that. Most Lutherans would say that the office of the papacy is the Antichrist. You know, like they won't deter from that detail in the confessions. Now, I'm not trying to say someone's not Lutheran if they don't believe that, but it is something to consider. Why don't you believe it? Because, you know, it's like one of the key things that you find in Lutheranism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know um, there's other things as well. Um, And what's one other thing I could point out? But also, as Lutherans, you know, what makes us different is that we're more comfortable with paradoxes in scripture than other groups are, whether it be the Calvinists who make it where they can't have it, where it's truly man's free will. Even the most passive view of election in Calvinism still has God damning people to hell in the most passive sense that he really, you know, he chooses not to do anything with them. That's still God damning them. So they have someone say, like myself, saying, oh, Joe did not go to heaven because he rejected the gift of God's grace given through the word of his own free will. You know, he truly did that. You know, some might not like that, you know, Mm because that means man sovereign over himself. Right. Well, the Arminian would not like they would like that part but they would not like us saying salvation isn't an act of your own free will it is an act of god coming through the word and the sacrament and giving you the gift of faith um the best way of summary summarizing it analogies i know um my fiance taught me this and it's the most silly analogy ever it's as if the holy spirit is a pizza delivery driver and god's grace is a pizza <laughs> and the Holy Spirit delivers it to your house and he knocks on the door. Now, on one hand, you can do what you naturally do and resist the Holy Spirit and not answer the door. Hmm. But you could do the other thing where, well, if the Holy Spirit wasn't there in the first place, you wouldn't be answering the door. <laughs> it he knocks on it and you open up the door and you receive the pizza and you could say, thank you, God, for giving me this pizza of wonderful grace. Thank you for giving it to me because I did not make it myself. I did not, you know, for example, 
have the pepperoni slices of forgiveness of my sense, you know, the cheese of my baptism and such. You know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm stretching it right there. Um, I was not given that part. I'm just adding on to it. (laughs) But it's just as simple as that. And it's best to leave it that way because once you try answering the question that's in between, you try bridging the two, you end up making the errors of both sides. Uh, I am addressing this in my series, and I know this is a very simplified thing of it, but I don't have, we don't have all night to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why my Instagram page is doing that series because I'm talking about it. And even then, the posts aren't the best. I will not say they're the best treatments of this issue in the world. Um, but that's what I'm doing on my page currently as Alex already mentioned, but yeah, uh, I think I don't have anything else to add about differences yet, unless you have some to bring up. No, I think you really cleared up a bunch. Um, and, and again, this is a, you know, for the hour that we're on the show is just a scratching of the surface. I mean, there's so much, so much, um, out there in regards to the differences and just kind of the little nuances, little, little things that make uh, us different than the, you know, our Baptist and Presbyterian brothers and sisters. And I think one of the things to really stress is that, you know, I would still call a Calvinist, a, you know, brother and sister, or I'd call a Presbyterian, a brother and sister in Christ. And uh, I, I would love to just sit down and have some good conversations with him and really, you know, look and see and understand, you know, in hopes that they can see our perspective. You know, I came from those camps. I know you did too. So I kind of, I know where they're coming from. Um, you know, I walked away from the uh, credo Baptist perspective at one point and really just embraced, you know, infant baptism. And I walked away from the spiritual representation in the bread and wine and to truly embrace, you know, what Luther said uh, and taught in the, Lord's Supper, that is how Jesus instituted it in Matthew 26 when he says, this is my body and blood given to you. And so uh, there's all these little little pieces that kind of go into it. But uh, for time's sake, we're going to wrap up the show and uh, we'll let we'll see how we can kind of continue the conversation in the next few episodes. I have one more guest lined up, obviously, and then I'm going to try to reach a few more people to get on on this little uh, mini series that I'm doing through the summer, just to kind of give people a different perspective of theology and not just find themselves sitting in the Calvinist and Arminianist camp and fighting amongst each other, but uh, come pick a fight with us Lutherans and we'll love to debate you online. So um, Jaden, any other uh, questions? Obviously I want them to find out where you are on social media. If you want people to come and read your, work that you're doing that I think is tremendous. So uh, let us know where you are at. So, yes, um, there is, I have two Instagram profiles, but the one in particular, don't, um, this is the one that has more followers. If you look me up, that one does not talk about these theological things. It did at one point, but then I'm like, this is something where I need a different profile for anyways. Um, So the one that Alex has mentioned is from dot west dot two dot og all lowercase um or it's shorthand for from westminster to augsburg and that is where i do my series of 
Lutherans versus Calvinists versus Armenians. I haven't uploaded since May 12th. So I plan on doing once a month because it's basically, I mean, I can do more, but for that, you know, it's just basically a good um, pace of it. I might not even do once a month if I have the time for it, considering how things are, but I also upload, um, maybe some people find it boring, but basically I take shots of what I'm reading in the book in Concord and also in Christian dogmatics by John Theodore Mueller and just share it with people. Um, and just give a very brief summary of what those pages talk about. Um, but yes, this is a very fledgling thing. I am not experienced with doing this. There might be some different things. I might do it differently. You know, it's a work in progress, but yes, from West to Og is my Instagram profile. That is best to, Look at that. It's also where you can reach me if you have questions about it or just want to say, hey, um, some other things is like, um, I will say that there's more perspectives than just Calvinist, Armenian, and Lutherans. Um, you always have the Leighton Flowers camp. Oh, you always yeah. have the Molinists. Um, there's the Roman Catholics, the Orthodox. You know, so even when we talk about I'm going to say like when I'm talking about this, I'm not saying that you guys are not out there. If you, if you have any listeners that are in this, those groups I mentioned, um, it's just very simply, unfortunately with this debate, reformed theology in Arminianism gets, or I should rather say Calvinism and Arminianism gets the forefront. Cause that's the more popular ones. Um, I'm not trying to say like, you know, we're all right in our own way. Like, you know, we're all on equal playing fields or anything. No, it's just simply we have to acknowledge that there's even more views than ourselves out there. Whether they're right or wrong, that's for us to debate and discuss. I mean, we're Lutherans are right. There's your answer. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I am not going to leave um, those guys hanging. Um, But let me see if there's anything else I should add. Um, No, I think that's it. Um, but yes, again, my Instagram page you can, people can find me at is from West Og. And I'll also say if people are curious on what sources to look get into, like to begin looking into Lutheranism at a, like a beginner's level, best way of doing it is just simply looking up Brian Wolfmuller on YouTube, as well as uh, Jordan B. Cooper. Your best shot, if you are someone who's getting into it, is perhaps Brian Wolf Mueller, because he's more geared to the laypersons. He is a pastor in the LCMS, and he's also written a book called Has American Christianity Failed, which is a very wonderful book. In fact, it does talk about Lutheranism and is a very great way to go into it as a beginner. Jordan B. Cooper, he is similar like Alex and I, where he used to be reformed, in fact, um, he has, he and I have mutual connections through some things. I'm not going to go into depth about that, but, um, Jordan B. Cooper is also a great resource who, um, depending on what he talks about, it may go over your head. If you're not well read into those things, it may not go over your head. Um, depending on things that I have found out when I share things with people, um, it's not a problem or anything. It's just simply some people may not know as much when talking about those things. He does his best, though. Don't get me wrong. He is a great um, resource to find on some other issues that Wolf Mueller may not address. In fact, he has an interview with um, Alex's next guest, Flame, on YouTube where he 
talks to Flame about becoming reformed. Flame also is a great resource. Is two albums I released does talk about Lutheranism. If you want it into a music format, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yep, um, it is very good. It also was a very great encouragement for me because it helped me realize I was not the only one. And literally, I was listening to these albums over and over and over again. My fiance and her family will tell you, yes, that is. I probably listened to them over hundreds and hundreds of times because they're that good. But also for me, they were something that I was really happy to have on hand because even like most Christian music today aren't, is not Lutheran. So his music that he produced just recently, um, scattered tulips and Christ for you are really great albums to listen about Lutheranism. So and I think that's it. Yeah. Great. And I definitely look forward to that interview and we'll kind of unpack some of those albums for you. So it'd be a good one for you. I think you to tune into, um, I'll make sure to link your page in, uh, the show notes so that way people can grab it and go check you out. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see kind of, uh, some of the feedback that we'll get from this episode, mainly me, uh, because again, I've been, I've been somewhat vocal, but not completely vocal on um, my leaving of Calvinism. I did a video on Instagram a while back, just kind of talking about it and, and why I left that. I don't associate with it. Um, obviously, I've been in a, the Lutheran circle for a couple of years now. And again, it's just uh, growing and uh, a de-shattering of the old thought process that processes that I used to have. And so uh, it's just a lot of you know, kind of a change of pace really. And there's a lot more to unpack, I think, as we go along in this uh, little series. And um, I hope you as a listener can really kind of start to, uh, un, you know, see kind of the other light. And as Jaden said, there are various groups of people out there. It's not just Calvinism and Arminianism and really Lutherans. I mean, there are many others. So uh, it pays attention to, you know, it's worth it to see what everybody else is thinking and doing out there so uh ladies and gentlemen uh thank you to Jaden for joining us tonight um and, and just kind of expounding your story and telling us a little bit about what your kind of walk has been through in the last couple of years and how christ has come alongside you and really uh, just enlightened you and, and moved you into where you're headed now so again thank you for that and ladies and gentlemen i will see you on friday's episode as we continue our journey uh, through the book of revelation i will see you guys later god bless deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.